In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by author, life coach, and grief recovery specialist, Sandy Derby, as she helps us unpack the idea of spiritual abuse, including its symptoms, causes, and damaging effects it can have on individuals and spiritual communities. This week's conversation is based on the topics and themes in chapter nine of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoy today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and today on the podcast, I am joined by a very special guest. I am joined by my friend, Sandy Derby, who is a a plethora of things. She is a grief recovery specialist with the Grief Recovery Institute, which her work revolves around helping people navigate, process, and heal uh, their grief, which is awesome. She is a life coach. She is an author and speaker and has a new book out recently titled The Uncomfortable Journey to Living Born Again. So Sandy, thanks for being here. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited to be here. I'm, just I'm excited having, to have you. Yeah, your podcasts are so amazing. So I'm, I'm really happy to be on here. I love it. Um, so we'll get into what specific topic this episode is for in a bit. Yeah. But first, the question I ask everybody is... Why don't you give us a general overview of yourself and your background, particularly in regards to your church and faith journey, and then as well as your professional work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, my journey and and a lot of the things that have influenced my life later on started in my home environment, which I didn't grow up in faith. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't grow up with uh, any kind of faith around me, except I grew up in a very anti-faith home. It was very anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. It was very anti-religion. I mean, to the point where um, there were spiritual abuses kind of the other way. And so mm-hmm. it was, there was a lot of abuse environment in my environment, like physical, sexual, verbal, um, just and dark, some really dark things. Uh, one of the only people that actually talked to me, even if you want to say about faith or God, was one of my main abusers. So I, I really didn't, I grew up in it like kind of that opposite environment. And the other ingredient in my upbringing was denial. So I had one parent who was very abusive and another parent who was like, no, we're a great family and everything's awesome no matter what. And so I learned to suppress a lot of things. So I went into my life and I just, I think I piled on a lot more, a lot more pain really because I had so many things suppressed. And so there was this moment, it was 2005 when I really started to connect with the truth of the things that had happened to me. And it was on the other side of, you know, drugs, alcohol. I mean, I was a meth addict for three and a half years. And it was like in the middle of all this, I start to question like, what is going on? I don't remember my childhood. I'm on drugs you know, I, I chose a guy that tried to kill me. Like all of these things have happened. Why? Like it was the first time I started to question why. And so in that questioning of why it really started to lead me to the truth of what had happened, what I had experienced. And so in facing that truth and facing pain and facing the reality of the family that I had grown up in, and it was very different than the picture that I had painted, I did walk away from meth. And I think that was, you know, miracle moment there for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Most people, you know, that I, that I know don't necessarily always walk away in that way. So I I know there's a miracle there. Uh, And then shortly after walking away is when I started in a faith community. I was on an airplane. I was on a business trip. I ended up sitting next to not one, but two pastors. And, you know, by the end of the trip, they had invited me to this church and I lived out in Hollywood. And so I ended up at a church that was like down the street from there. So I come into this place and there's this community and I'm like, wow, this is a faith community. These are people, they want to hug me. They want to be around me. <laughs> I'm a little overwhelmed. You know, I was yeah, kind they're of- They're so touchy. Me. Why are yeah, they so touchy? <laughs> Stop with all the touchy stuff. Yeah. I had a lot of anxiety, you know, it was hard to be around people. 
but it really started a journey, not only of, of faith, but also of healing. So I went on a really extensive healing journey and I can't, I can't necessarily say that every aspect of my healing journey was necessarily supported in the faith community. I think some aspects of it were some sure. of the ways that, that I approached healing maybe were not, but I just felt so led in, you know, the things that happened to me, I don't want them to ruin the rest of my life. I don't want to just come off meth and survive. I want to, I want to thrive. You know, I want to live. I want to be present. I want to experience life. So I was on this really deep journey of understanding and healing. And I feel like a lot of what I do professionally kind of sprung up out of that. It's like it sprung up out of my own journey of what, what is inner healing? You know, what is deliverance? What is grieving? What does it mean when I have all these beliefs about who I am that are just lies that are running my bus? How do I, how do I walk through that? How do I engage with that and, and walk through the other side? And so a lot of what I do now is, is that it's looking at the whole person, looking at where the person is, um, what are the, what is, what are their beliefs, both doctrinally and about themselves. And then let's walk through things so that we can face pain, embrace it and release it and get on the other side. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of the, a lot of things like, like grief, for example, you know, most people yeah. think that grief is associated with death. But right. grief is associated with so much more. You know, my, my a lot of my family was still living when I started this journey, but grieving the things that I had lost, like my childhood, my identity, my innocence, um, safety, boundaries, you know, all of the things that that I had lost, grieving them was really huge in helping my heart. You know, understanding inner healing and and bringing parts of my soul into this place of of, of healing and wholeness was huge. Understanding belief systems and how to break through lies and how to think differently, you know? So, so all of those aspects, whether it's grief recovery method, whether it's life coaching, whether it's trauma, whether it's inner healing, they're all incorporated into my private practice. And yes, I have training. I think my biggest training though, really has been the personal experience for sure. Yeah. And I think, Likewise, your personal experience really informs your training with, I mean, a lot of your training, I mean, a lot of your work yeah. has to do with interacting with other people who have gone through these experiences. I think that goes mm-hmm. a long way with your personal experience. We, we just talked about this before we started recording is there's a, there's a book knowledge that is useful when helping people who are going through this kind of stuff, but then having yeah. the personal experience takes you miles further in relating to them and having them resonate with the way you're trying to help them because you know exactly not just what they're going through, but how, like where they are as a person right then, which is really, really useful. And the reason why I wanted you on this episode is because so many of the things you said go right in line with the topics of this episode, which this episode is based on chapter nine of my book, and it is about spiritual abuse. And the the title of the chapter is kind of all the nose. It's what is spiritual abuse question mark, because mm-hmm. this book was written through kind of, it's kind of a memoir style mm-hmm. hybrid of different things. And at this point in the book, it, I'm kind of relaying my process of coming to terms with the fact that what I was experiencing was spiritual abuse mm-hmm. and where I was then. And even where I was writing this chapter, I was still trying to figure out what is spiritual abuse? What I, I know my experiences, what I went through and I know certain people tell me that was spiritual abuse, that was spiritual abuse. I, I kind of been able to mark those. But and on a bigger picture, I'm still having a lot of questions of the, the realm of defining what this is and the effects and the all the different kinds of aspects of it. Um, and this chapter is what is delves into all these things kind of on a, a more fundamental informational level and then also relaying into more experiences. So you were the, the perfect guest to have on this because you know so much about this from personal experience, from yeah. people you're working with, from, from so much of your work delves into abuse in general, but then also sometimes more, more prevalently more recently in the last however long it's been delving into specifically or heavily spiritual abuse. And the first question, I'm, I'm going to leave a lot of this up to you to, to speak about because I, I, I know what I've learned and what I wrote in my book, but you know it on a deeper level than I do. So I'm going to give you some of these questions with the hopes that you can really 
give us some some more layers than I could about talking about this topic because it's a big topic, it's a heavy topic, and it's a prevalent topic. And I want to make sure we can fill in as many gaps or as many points of this as we can for people. So the first, you've kind of started to talk about this a little bit, but the first question is, in general, what has your experience been specifically with spiritual abuse, both personally and professionally? Yeah. And that, and that's a great question. And it's a big question because I've had, I feel yeah. like extensive experience with it on both ends. And I work in this space a lot. So not only within, you know, the, there was the experiences that I had within the faith community that I came to initially, but then um, I've worked with people from different walks of life, from other type of, you know, religious communities where there's been extensive spiritual abuse and I've studied it out because like you, I feel like there are so many layers to this type of abuse and it can feel a bit convoluted. Sometimes the abuse is blatant sure. and sometimes it's like, okay, I know that was off, but I'm just, I'm trying to get my finger on it. Like, where does exactly. my finger go with that? Because it's, it's not always, it's not always explicit, right? Sometimes it's, so overt, it's more implied. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so- for starters, for me, I mean, I did grow up with some spiritual abuse, you know, so yeah. the person that I mentioned, you know, the uncle um, in my in my story was somebody that was very spiritual, spiritually abusive. So he was somebody that said, I'm a pastor, but then sexually abused me, you know, and there was yeah. a lot of other dark things that he brought me into as well. And he would, the, the spiritual abuse in that case is that he would say things to me like, you, you better not say anything because God's watching you. And if you say mm -hmm. something, almost like God will get you, right? So in that case, not only was there this abuse done, but the idea of keeping me quiet was me speaking yeah. up was wrong. And therefore, God, who was all powerful, was going to squash me if I spoke up. And so yeah. that's an example where you take like spiritual abuse often takes what is good and makes it evil and takes what is evil and makes it good. And that's kind of a clear cut example where that happens. Now, later in life, when, you know, I became a Christian and, you know, I had this amazing transformative experience with God, even before I became a Christian and then, you know, came to this community and just felt like, like you said, people are hugging me wow, this is, yeah. this is really interesting. There were a lot of things in those, in that beginning time that were really good for me. You know, there were people that wanted to be with me, that wanted to spend time, that were happy to see me. You know, we talk about how community can really, really bring healing for people. Even when I work with yeah. people one-on-one, -on -one, I know safe community is another part of the healing. But there were things in the community, even when I came in, that were like maybe pink flags, or maybe there were pink a couple flags. of red flags. You have a friend who will yeah. say pink flags, right? That's a great term for that, yeah. Yeah, they were pink flags and some red flags. But here's the thing, because I had come to this place, because it felt like water for my soul, because it felt like finally there are people that want to see me and love me and accept me, I missed some of those early markers. Mm -hmm. I missed some of those flags. And so what happened is, is that I then come into this community at the time, the singles and the marrieds were very segregated. So I came in as a single, single woman and I was kind of in this bubble and then I got engaged and I moved over into the marrieds ministry. And that's yeah. when I felt almost like a culture shock. But by that time I was already so far in and I felt so dependent on this community for stability, for, you know, my faith. Um, I was sold this idea that this was the community that was really sold out. Like this was the good community. If you're going to go to a different community, at the very least, you're not really sold out. Your faith is really right. not there. So we're the elite, right? We all want to be yep. part of the elite. We all want to feel like we're part of the ones that are doing it right. We have that in us. And yeah. so all of those things were already in place. So here I am and I'm in this married's ministry and I start to see much bigger red flags. I start to see that 
people are being shunned and people are being um, verbally abused for not following the line, for not coming to midweek services, for not coming to a Bible talk. And I'm I'm thinking, this, this is crazy. And then I go into this marriage and my marriage was very difficult. So I was already trying to navigate that thinking, I need this, this community to help me. And that's where I really started to experience spiritual abuse because I was in a marriage where the advice that I should have gotten from people in authority, the advice I should have gotten was you need to separate, let's help you. And instead the advice that I got was you need to be more loving. You need to have more grace. You need to, you know, let things, you know, slide off your back. You have more tools than this person does. And so because I am that person that's an internalizer, I tend to overtake responsibility. I just thought, okay, here's, you know, here's the 1%, 10%, 30% I'm not doing right. Let me focus on that. And it doesn't matter if the other person is doing 70% wrong, you know, sure. or, or crossing lines or being abusive. And so all of that, of course, then lends itself to now I'm in a situation where I'm being, there's spiritual abuse happening at home because in this community, I'm a woman, he's a man, I'm supposed to submit his way or the highway, which is a gross misinterpretation of the scripture, by the way, gross. And so that was happening. But at the same time, because I'm so driven with healing, I was also healing. My work tends to take me being with people that are not in the community. So I wasn't always in this closed circuit. So I was healing and I'm experiencing people outside of this community, people of different faiths. And I'm going, wow, God is working here. God is working there. My role is to be with them and love them. So I was seeing both things happen. And so it really culminated in, I ended up, I had worked with several people within, you know, the faith community. And I started to realize that I was seeing abuses in homes. I was seeing uh, really awful things. And I worked with someone specifically where there had been such substantial abuse in their home that I was concerned for their safety. And so I started to go to people that I thought were the right people to go to. You know, in my line of work, you keep things confidential unless there's a safety issue. Now I had permission, express permission from this person, but I started to involve people so that we could have collaborative care and make sure that this person got the best care. Also, because some of these abuses were happening, uh, one, somebody in a leadership position, number two, there'd been sexual abuse with a former Mm -hmm. church member while this person was a child. Okay, those are big, but you got to investigate this stuff. You've got to find out there's going to be other victims. So I'm advocating with people that I thought were safe people in, in leadership positions and they started to do the right thing. At least so I thought this story seems to be repetitive. (laughs) You still, you know, they're starting to do the right thing. This is what we're going to do. We're having all these conversations. And then it became very clear that really what was happening is, is that they were moving to protect the image of the church. And for them, protecting the image of the church meant, you know, we're not going to allow people to understand what's happened here. We want to make sure that the person who's been harmed, we want to make sure that they're silenced. And that even went so far as to try to discredit me. So sure. um, I was very vocal by that time. I got the people pleasing yeah. right out of me. I'll tell you that. That's <laughs> good. I became very, very vocal at that time. Yeah. But the other thing is that I also started to really see the depths of spiritual abuse. So to answer your question, so there's kind of a story. Spiritual abuse is any type of abuse. So I think first we really got to understand what is abuse because a lot of people don't understand the different layers of abuse that there really are. Spiritual abuse takes any kind of of abuse and places it under the umbrella of it's being done in the name of typically it's God or higher power, something of that nature. It means doing this means that you're following God, you're doing the right thing. And so a lot of times abuse takes things that are good and twists them into something that's really bad. But abuse could happen. It can happen verbally. Uh, Verbal abuse usually assaults identity. So a verbal abuse could be as simple as you're such a sinner. 
<laughs> yeah. You are so prideful. You need to have the pride really taken out of you because you are just a prideful, wicked person. That's an example. That's actually verbal abuse. Your identity has been assaulted in the name of being right or righteous, right? So right. that's a, there's a verbal assault in that. Another Another type is physical. I cannot tell you how many times it breaks my heart. I have seen this idea. Um, I'm going to use the scripture that's used over and over again. Spare the rod, spoil the child. I have had people say, a good beat yeah. in the name of the Lord is the way to get the wickedness out of your child. That's abuse. <laughs> that yeah. is clear cut abuse. Um, and I'm just going to say, by the way, that's not what that scripture means. Yeah. Um, the idea of, of rod is guidance. It's found in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For your rod and staff, they what? They comfort me. Comfort me. Yeah. It's guidance. It has nothing to do with physical assault. Physically yeah. assaulting a child to try to curb behavior, not only is it abusive, but the problem with a lot of things, a lot of, of cults is that what they do and what spiritual abuse does is it silences and controls the child. And children, when they're yeah. silenced and controlled, will either conform or act out. So what happens is the ones that act out, then there's the physical abuse, right? The beating to make sure that they get in line. Now you've just furthered abuse. And again, it's done in the name of what? Of God, of right behavior, of getting wickedness out. That's spiritual abuse. Uh, sexual abuse happens over and over and over again in these types of communities. Why? Because one of the other things that happens for a lot of children is that they are not taught that they can have boundaries. They yeah. are taught that they are there to give, to serve, to uh, hug, even if they don't yeah. feel like it's appropriate. The only language that they're given is that of obedience. And it's usually first time obedience. By the way, this is across many, many religious cults. And so what happens is, is that then the child actually loses their voice and their ability to know what is a right touch and a wrong touch. Yeah. Well, for an abuser, they're attracted to these types of communities Absolutely, because they're in power. They get yeah. to be with a child who has been taught that they have to obey anybody in authority. First time, they're going to get in trouble if they don't obey. And so then that sexual abuse happens, right? Again, under a spiritual kind of umbrella. And it's not uncommon. Yeah. I've seen this time and time again for abusers to spiritualize even the sexual abuse. This is something special between you and I, you know, God's going to be angry. Uh, if you, if you tell anybody kind of like my experience that does happen. Uh, yeah. I've had abusers tell their victims that I'm, I'm Jesus. And so you doing Gosh. this is you're supporting Jesus. I mean, all of that is spiritual abuse. A lot of it is also um, psychological. There's a lot of gaslighting that happens in spiritual abuse Typically, spiritually abusive communities are kind of narcissistic in nature. So there's a narcissist kind of in, in at the top, and it's kind of a top-down type system. It's more militant, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's a big part is narcissism is, and that that's a whole different episode. Yeah. That's an entire conversation of uh, you. I mean, you mentioned briefly earlier the, the the kind of desire to be a part of the elite, a chosen yeah. people, a chosen enlightens some kind of group or, or people that yes. has some kind of extra favor for whatever reason, in whatever context. And narcissism plays into that so heavily, especially in spiritual communities, because spiritual communities are tied innately to a higher power. Mm -hmm. That is, that's what they're founded on is an allegiance to a higher power. And it's, it's a mindset of the closer I can proclaim myself to be connected to said higher power, the more authority I have and the more enlightened I am, the more whatever else. And, and that, that goes on a whole different track, but narcissism is a, is a big part way back. You mentioned, you mentioned with the pink flags and the, the kind of the understated signs of these preliminary examples of spiritual abuse and my, my thought of that was being that, okay, so, so my whole book is about me. I, I'm only 24 now. It's me, my experience is growing up and being born into this church, right? And you 
what what age did you come into the the church? So I came into this church at 35. Okay. At 35. So uh, my story is, yeah, it's a lot different. Yeah. Yes. I, and he's 35 and I was born into it. And, and, and there's so many similarities first off yeah. and, and because it's the exact same, the exact same system and the exact same yes. parameters and all the same stuff. But what's also similar is that despite the fact that you had a whole life before church and then came into it and I was born into it or it was my entire life from the very beginning. It's that same idea of some things that are some ideas, beliefs, ways you live your life, things you're told on the ways you're supposed to live and think that you have just taken on as being the norm when in reality, it's so far detached. And there were so many examples where so many of these things have an even deeper connection to your identity and who you see yourself as foundationally, because so many things are tied innately to church and to your belief. So many practices that you have just believed are, oh, I've done that since I was, since I was five. That's the thing you do. That's the thing you think. That's the way I am viewed or the way I have to do this certain thing. Because if not, then this, 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 this happens. That's just been the way I operate for years and years and years. But yet you step out and talk to one person who's not a part of your church or a part of your community. And you say that to him and they go, wait, 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 pause. What was that? And for the first time ever, you have to sit in there and go, wait, what was that? Was that weird? And there are so many conversations I've had with, with friends I've grown up with that we look back now being a little bit removed from that and looking back and go, oh my gosh, we went along with that for 10, 15, 18 years. And we never saw that it was off. And now we're able to go, man, that was, what were we a part of? That was so either, you know, on the, less serious side, that was just so weird. On the serious side, that was so abusive. I can't believe we accepted that as just being the norm. There's something about it that is able to so easily and readily attach to your identity mm-hmm. with spiritual communities. Because I think one on one side, there are, there are such higher, more in-your-face, quote-unquote, stakes to what you're doing. Whereas if you're not in a, in, if you're not spiritual, if you're not religious, you make a mistake, okay, there might be repercussions to your mistake. If you, if you steal money, oh yeah, you might get trouble with the law, you might have to pay some money back, you might, whatever. If you're religious, in often cases, oh, you do this, you'll get those same worldly repercussions and you'll also be in trouble with God mm-hmm. and your salvation is at, is at play and all these different things. And it's just this added level that can be so dangerous because it's so influential in everything you do and the way you think, um, which can be good if all those things are healthy because it's the same amount of influential aspect to your life. But if it's negative, it's just as damaging and as far reaching. Very well said. And, and, and the other thing too about a, a spiritual abuse and spiritually abusive communities is that everybody that's in the community, sometimes people participate in the abuse knowingly. And sometimes people thinking they're doing the right thing are also participating in the the abuse, right? So kind of to add to your point, now imagine you have somebody who's been abused, maybe they've been sexually abused, right? And now they're being told, well, you need to forgive. I mean, you haven't forgiven. Where is your mercy? You know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna disrupt other people's faith. So there's something about spiritually abusive communities too that want to stay, they want to stay in homeostasis. It's always about protecting the community at large, right? So when you have a sick community, it just is going to create more and more sickness. So I've seen even really good people who are great people who probably aren't directly participating in abuse, but on some level are agreeing with some aspects of the system itself and thereby are perpetuating things even if their intention isn't to perpetuate it. And that's what's so painful a lot of times about spiritually abusive communities is there's those of us that come out. And I mean, I can even look back and look at aspects of like, man, I can't believe even I thought that way back then. I can't believe that I was that indoctrinated back then. And I was probably somebody who was always in some ways, you know, half in, half out in the sense that I did have a lot of life outside of the system. But there were things that I remember even thinking, somebody left thinking, oh, 
I guess they don't want to be held as accountable, you know? And I look back and I'm like, I should have been going, oh, thank goodness you left, you know? But in the time when you're in it, you become very indoctrinated. And so the abuse is then perpetuated. And I'm going to share this this story really quick because I do share this with people because I think it really helps them. And it's something I read. There's an author named M. Scott Peck. A lot of people know him for The Road Less Traveled. He kind of was revolutionized the idea of personal growth. Well, he wrote some books later on that are much less known. And one of them is called People of the Lie. And it's the case for human evil. And he tells this story. And I talk about this because this sometimes happens for people when they've been through abuse in a spiritual community. And maybe it's not a family member that abused them. It was somebody in the community but their family is still in the community and their family is still staying, saying things like, but the church has done so much for us. I mean, come on, we found God here, right? They're still hearing those. people I know. That's the same. That's the situation. Yes, exactly. And here's what I liken it to. So M. Scott Peck talks about this situation where he worked with a teen who had wrecked a car. The parents said, you need to get help. You know, we don't know why you're acting out. And so it turns out this particular teen's brother had completed suicide. And so he's trying to connect with the teen. He's asking him questions. And he says, by the way, so what'd your parents get you for Christmas? Because like right after the holidays and the kid is like, oh, they got me this, this. And yeah, they got me a 22, blah, blah, blah. And he describes this gun. And M. Scott Peck is like, how do you feel that your parents got you the same kind of gun that your brother used to kill himself? Like, how are you feeling about that? And the kid looks at him and goes, it wasn't the same kind of gun. And M. Scott Peck is like, well, I've got the file here. I, I know what gun it was. And the kid had said, it wasn't the same kind of gun. It was the gun. Oh my gosh. And I remember when I read that years ago, I, I threw the book down. Like it hit me yeah. so hard. And so M. Scott Peck then brought in these parents to talk to these parents. And the father said, well, I'm sorry, we're not made of money. And that was a perfectly good gun. What's the problem? So he quickly realized that the problem was not the teen who had wrecked the car. The problem was the family dynamic that he was in and he removed them from the family dynamic. So sometimes it's not just that somebody hurt us. It's that somebody has said, but we found God here. This church has done so much for us. I mean, but you were happy at that time. You were smiling. What's the big deal? It's the same thing. And there's a there's an element of spiritual abuse that has that aspect that is really, really difficult for people. And so I wanted to share that because I think it also yeah. gives some depth and breadth to some of the things we're talking about. No, that's a great narrative example to, to metaphorically kind of set the stage for that. Um, two things I I thought of one, I'm so glad you brought those up because that's so vital to this overall picture of spiritual abuse. The first thing I thought of with the first half of what you were saying was what this mindset breeds is a system that innately protects the abuser and silences the victim. Because no matter how many people are, are, you know, believe or know the victim, even believe the victim or whatever, support the victim, the system is already set where the scale is weighed against them. Because the system, the the community has more at stake to lose almost as if the, the, either the work that we're doing or the people here or whatever else, losing that is a greater loss than, than your own pain and what you've been through. That's right. Um, and it's, it's, you know, the, the, the flock over the one sheep, it's that all that kind of, that mindset of allowing your hurt and your abuse to be exposed in most cases or be validated to, or whatever, or to bring you that abuser or whatever to do justice or, or whatever lesser term than that, just have it known puts at risk so much good. Yes. And that's what you were saying is the mindset of many people. And this is one question I have on here is, is why is it so hard for certain people to leave environments that are abusive? And I think you already touched on that a little bit is in in the overwhelming majority of cases, there is so much good that happens in these communities. But the problem is when there's bad, that good suddenly becomes the reason why that bad is less valid. That's right. Which in no world does good mean that 
in, in every circumstance, there's, there's always good, there's always bad in anything. To the extent on which that bad and good are really tilts the scales of what needs to be done in accordance. Um, but it, it seems in many spiritual contexts, for some reason, maybe more so than others, it feels like because this, this church has changed people's lives, because it's shown people God, it's taught people about Jesus and the Bible, that, oh, they went through abuse. Yeah, but, yeah, but this is so much good. It's like, no, 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 but this person has gone through a lot. If it's from leaders, if it's from other stuff, that's a bigger, even a much more prevalent deal. But let's just say someone went through something with one person who's not in leadership. That is still a situation that needs to be accounted for and validated because- it's almost the reverse where many mindsets is that, oh, because of the good, the bad is almost okay. Mm-hmm. The other way around is the way I think it should be viewed as is no, 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 because that bad is happening and not being validated, not being dealt with that good means nothing because people might still be getting good stuff. But as long as that's still allowed to happen, whether it's spiritual abuse or abuse or just something that's not going well for that person, that's not being allowed to exist and be yeah. dealt with that good is in vain because you're not, because it's not really good. It's peripheral mm-hmm. good where you're not looking at the bad to assume it's all good. Is that, is that really genuinely good? I don't know if it is. If you're blocking out other stuff intentionally to see that. That's right. But yeah, I mean, we're on this question now. What maybe delve deeper into this. Why is it oftentimes hard for people in spiritual abusive environments to leave? Yeah, I think that is such a great question because across the board, that is a a huge challenge a lot of times for people. And it's really, in a lot of ways, it is the way that the spiritual, spiritually abusive community is set up. So in many spiritually abusive communities, there is a bit of a separation from the rest of mainstream. Now, the word cult definitely does mean that you're going against mainstream. And there's, we'll talk about in a moment, the differences between what's healthy and not. But already there's a separation that happens for people. The other thing that I find in spiritually abusive communities, the word I have is love bombing. There is an yes. aspect of love bombing. And that's it, it, for, for people that understand narcissism, that word makes a lot of sense. And it's really what a narcissist use, uses to get your defenses down, to make you believe and attach. See, attachment is a powerful driver for us as people because we are created for community. We're created for attachment. A lot of times, like those of us that come into spiritually abusive communities as an adult, we're often coming in with a sense of loss within our families, you know, a sense of separation. And so when you come into a community and there's this love bombing, there is this like, we really want to be with you. And people are trained to do that. Why? Well, because you got to save souls. So you got to just put on your best face, (laughs) mirror what they would want and bring them in, right? So there's, that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is there is also oftentimes it's, it's kind of like taking somebody's life, knowing the innermost parts of their life, like their sin and the bad things. It's almost kept as like collateral. So people feel tied because of the of that the collateral that people know these things about me and there's something about having that knowledge and being united in that knowledge that that also binds people the other word that i have that is used extensively in abusive spiritual communities is trauma bonding so trauma yes. bonding is man the very person that has done this really loving thing has now also done this harmful thing maybe they've discipled me, right? They've come at me, but they've spoken these really harsh words. See, healthy trauma bonding, just it's a shared experience that veterans will have it. That means they've gone to the front lines. Maybe they're fighting side by side and they go through through something really painful and intense, but because they've gone through it together, they have a shared experience and they're bonded over it. But then there's unhealthy trauma bonding, whereby the very person who has abused me is also the person who loves me. And so I'm trying to get that abusive part of me healed and fixed through the love of the person who's harmed me. There's a lot of trauma bonding that happens in these types of communities. And so I would say, Austin, probably even for your experience, 
you would have seen that, you know, coming through children's oh, yeah. ministry and teens ministry, an extensive amount of trauma bonding. These are the people that are like your family that, that love you, that want to see the best for you, but they're also tearing you down. They're also yeah. harming you. So the, the harmer becomes the fixer. Now I'm bonded. So because of that, we start to develop these really kind of crazy coping mechanisms, which is exactly what you articulated so well, where we blow up the good and minimize the bad. And we are thinking and our view starts to become very distorted. And so we really believe that good and health is found in this place. And if I leave this place, I will no longer have those things. So yeah. then you add in the idea of, well, we're the only ones going to heaven or we're going to be highest in heaven. That might not be spoken exactly in that way, but it's certainly implied in many, many communities. Yeah. Either we're the only ones going there or we're going to be the top ones. We've got something that other people don't have. And so what happens is a narrative starts to form. And that narrative is, is this is the best place ever. The other narrative that starts to form is bad things happen everywhere. Right. There's people, bad things happen everywhere. What do you think you're going to have something perfect? You're not going to find that anywhere. So what's people wrong are imperfect. with- People yep. Yes, yes. And I think if you don't, if, if it's okay, that kind of goes into kind of this next piece of like, what's a differentiator between something that's healthy and unhealthy? Yes. And there's two words that I like to use. Healthy may be difficult, abusive is destructive. And there's a big mm -hmm. difference between difficult and destructive. Yes. If you have people together, we're going to have some difficulty. Welcome to the human experience. Yeah. But there's a big, big difference between that and destructive. I heard a gentleman say one time he was defining the word cult. And I loved it because he said just that cult is a group of people that have come together and they, they share a common bond and they're going against mainstream. That's not always a bad thing. But a destructive cult takes that narrative and thereby uses it for manipulation and control. See, spiritually abusive communities are about appeasing somebody higher up. So there's appeasement. The, the, the vision is about the, the person in a high position and you are losing self in order to make that happen. Healthy communities are the opposite. Healthy communities flourish because they care about the individual. They care about their individual needs, wants, desires, shapes, passions, hopes, purposes, and wholeness for the yeah. person of the betterment, betterment of individuals. So interestingly enough, they can both achieve similar things, meaning they can both make great change. One does it because that change is really about feeding somebody at the top who's pretty narcissistic with narcissistic people in place to carry out their mission and vision, which has to do with validating them to no end because it never ends for them versus we're empowering people to live their best lives because we deeply care about people. And, and, and then we love each other out of a respect for our individuality and for our differences. And we come together because we care, but not because we are trying to be conformed. We might have some unity, but we're not in conformity. And so those are big earmarks. The one that is about kind of getting underneath the individual and wanting the best for the individual, those communities tend to not attract abusers. That's very true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really, really, because it's so simple is difficulty versus destructive. Yes. My thoughts were immediately, I had a thought on both sides of, mm. of the scale here, which my thoughts were on in, in, a, in, a, in a spiritually abusive environment, destructive is often tried to be excused as just difficult mm -hmm. to people. It'll be invalidated. You go and say, I'm being abused, which people don't always know they're being abused. They don't always say it like that. They say, I'm going through this. This is happening with this person, whatever. And oftentimes the person you're talking to, whether it be a leader or another adult, will say something like, oh no, that person is trying, just trying to help you grow. They're leading you in a direction that you're maybe resistant to. So it's hard because growth is hard. It's difficult. Um, and a lot of things, whether it's not that exact example, a lot of the time your claim of abuse or damage or toxicity will be sent back to you and deflected as a you problem. It's, oh, you know, you're just prideful or you're arrogant or you're in sin or whatever. And because of that, 
this thing you think is abuse is not abuse. It's just difficult. Sometimes they may even meet you halfway, quote unquote, where they'll acknowledge that something isn't working out or isn't healthy, but they'll belittle it and invalidate it to a level where, oh no, it's not abuse, but yeah, they might even apologize. They'll say, yeah, we're sorry about that. That's even on us sometimes, or it's, it's not your fault, but it's not abuse. It's just, oh, this person who did, did that to you is going through some life things, some family, some marital things. Oh, they're going through this, so they're going through that. And so for, so for that reason, for whatever, whatever reason why, that abuse is not abuse. It is not to the level that you're claiming that it is. So that's one side of the equation where abuse is excused as just difficulty. And then the other side, which sometimes makes this, it makes it hard for people who are experiencing legitimate abuse, is that I feel in our culture, and part of me doesn't even want to bring this up because I feel I, I want to be careful of not belittling or invalidating any experience of abuse. Yes. Um, but I don't think this does. I'm, I'm going to tread a thin line here because I think it's important to outline this because it's very true. But in our culture today, especially among younger generations, it seems, the word abuse is being thrown out so easily and commonly yeah. That a, a, an unfortunate result of that is that the term itself is beginning to carry less weight than I believe it's supposed to. And of course, the, I would say the vast majority of claims of abuse, unfortunately, are valid. But I think there is also equally an increasing amount of cases where abuse is being claimed when it really is only difficulty. And because of that, it makes people who are going through actual abuse it makes the hill that much steeper to try to achieve validity, which yeah. that in itself is a whole different conversation. But I wanted to say that because that's a thought I had on both sides of mm-hmm. difficulty being excused as abuse and abuse being excused as just difficulty. It's a both sides of the spectrum thing. I agree. I think that's, you know, that's the challenge with, first of all, with spiritually abusive communities is that they really do define the abuse as difficult. You know, they, they, they really do a lot of times it's made out to be difficult. And like you said, then the weight is put on the person who's being harmed, uh, to stop being prideful or, you know, be more loving. I think I heard that so many times. And at the same time, yeah, it's true. We are going to experience difficulty. And I think that's for me, why I'm such a proponent of healing, because in my opinion, the more that you heal, the more you can discern between destructive and difficult. I feel like it really helps with this discernment is kind of the healing aspect. Because one mm-hmm. of the things that I have learned um, just kind of in my own, you know, my own view is God isn't indestructive. God isn't about destructive. God is yeah. about healing. God is, you know, for anybody to say, well, it's okay that so-and-so did this, this, and this, because they did all of these great things for God or for people. You know, it's okay that they were a sexual predator. It's okay that they were physically abusive is to me such a travesty, yeah. you know, because I have this beautiful position of, I work with people from all over. I, I'm also a trainer for the Grief Recovery Institute. So I also train people to be specialists. I work in all these different spaces with all these different people groups And I just see that there's so much power and beauty in healing. And I see that, you know, I, God is in the healing, you know, he is not about destruction. He is not about things being done in his name that are destructive and painful and hurtful. That's not who he is. And when I walked away, you know, I walked away from the church and the marriage kind of all at the same time. I remember it's almost like my mind, my, my mindset just had gotten to this place of like, you know what, this is a small group of people in the context of how many people are in the world. Why am I letting this group of people define who I am and try to tell me that being here means that I'm with God when what I have seen is that he is so much bigger than this group of people. His arm reaches so much further than anything we could ever imagine. And there is a love and a passion that he has 
for healing that is beyond anything we could imagine. And I think the other thing for me is that because I grew up in such in such extensive abuse, I also just in my walk and journey got to have a season of being really angry with God, of wrestling. And I'm all about that. If people, oh, yeah. you know, need to wrestle, wrestle. I mean, I wrestled profoundly. I asked questions. As a matter of fact, that that was like a couple years of my yeah. relationship was just like, why did you let that happen as a little girl? Why? And I'm not going to sit here and give theological answers to where I landed. I'm just going to say that that wrestle, that emotional, relational, intensive wrestle, so much sprung up from that. And that that's God, that's faith to me. And so yeah. I just have found that Spiritually abusive communities just create something that is very small and very contained that you're not supposed to leave and they're going to mark you if you leave and you're going to have all of these bad things happen to you if you leave. And that box in and of itself, even if you're in it and you're not necessarily experiencing maybe some of the abuses that other people are at the very least your identity your mind is being stifled and what yeah. you could do in your life in terms of your passion and and your and your just your purpose and and just your individuality is being squelched and that there's something so much bigger out there for people yeah i think i'm so glad you brought up just the whole which is a huge element of the way that these environments define who God is. Yeah. Which that's a whole different conversation in of itself is the fact that God is almost in many ways as much of a victim of this abuse as the as the victim it's himself or herself is mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. that his image is thrashed where somebody anybody who goes to church finds this church either if they're born into it or they find it along the way in search of something they're in search of something in their soul and that's why they go to church yeah. that's why they show up because there's something calling to them that they resonate with and that's god and they find a place that proclaims to be the place that god is using as a vessel to get his message to this person and it's a place that god has set up to be a place for to be a vessel for him to this person and this person hopes it is because they're showing up not knowing where to find this answer and here it is and they show up and God says something or God is there. It's squeezed through this tiny tube and warped and manipulated. And the, 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 the end result that comes out and is handed to this person on a plate is way different than what he wanted you to have. He wanted you to have this magnificent feast and what comes out is this little poison, toxic something, right? It's like a fast food. <laughs> it's a piece of fast food, right? Yeah. Um, I wrote down this quote from, to quote myself, a quote from my book that I <laughs> yes. wanted to bring up. I, that I wanted to bring up here. It's, it's, a, it's this paragraph that I, I, I wrote and I really, I, obviously I wrote it so I resonate with and that's why I wanted to say it is it's about the perception of God that, that these abusive environments give. And I said, spiritual abuse warps our perception of God because it paints an inaccurate picture of who God really is. When it feels like his love, forgiveness, and mercy are not strong enough motivators to push people in the direction they want them to go, churches and their leaders will resort to presenting a stricter, harsher, and less loving God in an attempt to scare or smother or force people into submission to their agendas or abuse or etc. In many cases, the God, I put lowercase g, the God, ends up being, that ends up being preached, resembles so little of who God actually is. He is a cheap dollar store copy that is chosen over the priceless original because the church's goals became more important to its leaders than God's will. And that, in terms of a church's goals and agendas, that is the foundation upon which abuse thrives because these things, have a church having missions and goals and whatever and callings is fantastic. That's what we're called to be. But when those, when those take, just take priority over the individual needs and well-being of the people who they are governing and who are a part of that church, it completely thwarts the whole reason that you would have a goal in the first place, which is to further God's will and to show God's love and to just give people God in all his fullness. And it's just, what you were saying is it's just such a shame that the pureness and the 
the love and the mercy and the grace and the freedom and the thriving that God offers us is thrown out the window often cases because churches and their members and their leaders care more about their certain prescribed goals or agendas or where they do things or mentalities or beliefs or practices or statuses of their, of their leaders or money or whatever than God. Yeah, it's, it's just so simple, and they make it so complicated. Mm-hmm. And that's very beautifully said. That That is right on. That is exactly what happens. And it it is part of the spiritual abuse. In my opinion, when you have a church or a group that is distorting the image of God and distorting God's heart for their own agenda, they have definitely stepped into spiritual abuse. Yeah, that is innately spiritual abuse. Yeah, Yeah. spiritual abuse warps God's image, but warping God's image and distorting who he is, is spiritual abuse. Yes, In many cases, in almost all cases, absolutely. Definitely. Okay, I I have two more questions here that can be a little little shorter, whatever. What would you say to someone who believes they might, who believes or knows that Mm. they're experiencing spiritual abuse, whether they are completely sure that they're experiencing spiritual abuse or they think, oh, maybe what I'm experiencing is spiritual abuse. What would you say to them? Yeah, definitely. That's such a great question because number one, if you know you're experiencing spiritual abuse, then you definitely want to get out of that community for sure. Spiritual abuse is, is like I said, an identity stealer. It, it's a very painful thing. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, that I find really helpful is to find resources outside of the community. So let's say you're in a position where you think I might be experiencing spiritual abuse. I'm feeling like something's just not right. I'm seeing things that are, you know, they're, they're hitting my heart. Like I, you know, maybe it's a pink flag and not a red flag. Yeah. Finding resources outside of your community is one of the best things that you can do in order to bounce it off of somebody, start to get some support. Uh, That's one of the first things that you want to do, because remember a lot of times spiritually abusive communities they will even have resources within their community, resources of trained professionals. It was definitely in the one that I was a part of. One of the people that I went to is a trained and licensed mental health professional in the role of pastor who didn't follow those mental health protocols, but followed let's protect image of the church and agenda protocols, right? So yeah. you want to get outside of you want to get outside of the community and it's really it's really important. Maybe you speak to somebody who's left the community who maybe has a little bit of understanding of what you've been through, but at the very least seek a therapist, seek a coach, seek somebody in healing. They're usually really good gauges of being able to not only help you process abuse but give you reframes. I'll tell you in a lot of the work that I do not only am I helping people to grieve and walk through pain, but I'm also helping them to reframe their experience, be able to identify where there's been grooming, right? I talked about obey, obey, obey as a child, the forgive and forget, oh, you're not repentant, like those things being twisted, right, to, to support abuse. You want to have somebody that can help you with that kind of language And it really does need to be somebody that is not in the community. You want to really get outside the community. If you are certain that you're experiencing spiritual abuse and you're afraid, start to make connections outside of the community. That's what you need. You want to have a place to kind of move into people that are safe to talk to, people that are not still entrenched. Because on some level, people that are in are going to have some degree of, you know, brainwashing, that kind of thing. So it's either, you know, somebody who's totally out or somebody who's who's never been a part of it, but maybe has some experience. Another thing that I would say too is um, there's a lot of documentaries on cults and there's some yes, really, there really good ones. Scientology, Nexium. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many different documentaries. Sometimes because we're in our story, it's really hard to see our story. So when you start to watch some of these documentaries, there's a lot of common themes that destructive cults have, religious or otherwise. And so watching those kind of documentaries can be very helpful and eye-opening. 
But one of the things that I do want to say is no matter what, know that healing is possible. Our experiences don't have to steal the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. They don't have to. I, my heart breaks if you've experienced abuse, if you're in a community and you're thinking, I may be experiencing abuse. I don't know how to go. I don't know how to leave. Like my heart really breaks for you. But I just want you to know that there is another way. There is a life that is waiting for you. And it is a process, but it's so possible. I mean, I walk with people who have been through just these really horrible things in the name of God, in these abusive religious communities and cults. And, you know, I watch them walk through things and get on the other side and have this different life. And so I just want to say it's, it's all very possible. No, I love that. And just a side note on all about seeking outside resources and talking to people outside. If your church discourages seeking outside resources, that's a red flag, not a pink flag. That's a red flag. Very (laughs) well, very well, very, very well said to you about all about healing. That's definitely absolutely true. Last question for you. This is a question I ask for every guest on the podcast. This podcast and my book are all about crumpled papers, which I define as ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on or relearn or unlearn. So what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn or gain a new understanding of? Yeah, that's such a great, I mean, that's such a great question. And I, I do have to say, Austin, your book is amazing. And I, I have, you know, I get to talk to people that are reading your book and they're just getting so much out of it. So I'm really glad. Yeah. I can't believe you're 24 years old, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> okay. So as far as, um, I, I feel like there's been a lot of crumpled papers that I've had to, that I've had to unpack and, and relearn. And one of the, one of the first ones is, and I'm going to say this real kind of briefly, but even though I didn't grow up with parents that talked to me about God, they taught me about authority. We learn as children experientially. So whether or not you're raised in a religious community, we still develop beliefs around who God is and who we are based on our experiences growing up. People Absolutely. don't have to talk to us about God to for us to formulate that, not to mention the experiences that I also had with my uncle. And so- I think some of the reason that when things started to to be those pink flags and some red flags that I didn't see it is because they did fit with some of my belief systems, which were Mm -hmm. God is, God is punishing, you know, which, which is, oh man, if you slip up in this area, like you're going to go to hell. Um, There were definite, definitely things that kind of aligned Um, this idea that God doesn't want me to be successful, whether it's you know, financially or, um, or otherwise relationally, you know, that, that God doesn't desire that for me. And, you know, those were things that I had to really unpack and unlearn and, and walk through and realize that, you know, God is for me. I I heard somebody say recently that like self-love and and even self-compassion and self-love is one of the one of the one of the great ways that we even receive the love of God and that we honor God and that we you know honor Jesus is that compassionate care for ourselves and that was polar opposite of what was swirling around in my head you know yeah. and and so that I think is one of the reasons why there was a time when I did ignore a lot of the big red flags and I did continue to kind of perform. I was definitely a good performer, you know, in, in the church that I was in, in the ICOC because of those beliefs, you know, those things that were, that were in my head and they were not only already there, but they were reinforced a lot. And I remember having a lot of tension because I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an author, I'm a speaker. I'm a, I, I have all these, I'm a visionary. I mean, I have huge vision and I always felt like I was supposed to go places, but then I'd have this tension and I wouldn't know how to reconcile that. And yeah. just really realizing that, you know, they're in there for a reason. I'm a visionary for a reason. That's who I'm made to be. 
That's who God I, made you to be. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm a, I'm a person of impact because that's who God created me to be. And that's where I thrive and shine is when I get to live in impact. And so leaving for me, wasn't just leaving something abusive and terrible. It was also saying, I am really stepping in that these things are not true and whatever else I need to do to fully break those strongholds, I will so that I can live in freedom. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like those were probably some of the biggest for sure. Those are really, really good. And I think a lot of people resonate with those exact same things. Sandy, real quick, down below in the description, I will be putting a link to your book, The Uncomfortable Journey to Living Born Again, which delves even more into your story. It's kind of like mine. It's, it's, it's memoir style with a lot of things you've learned about abuse and faith and God and all that stuff. It's fantastic. So go pick that up. And I'll also make sure to link down below uh, places where anyone listening can reach out to you. You are a life coach and a grief recovery specialist. So anyone who wants to reach out to you, uh, I will leave a link to reach you at. Sandy, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. You were able to explain this stuff in such a palatable way and such a full way. And I think we really were able to offer some really good insight into into spiritual abuse, which I know is a very prevalent, very important topic to, yeah. to spread awareness of. Um, so I thank you for coming on and thank you for having the conversation. And thank you, Austin. And thank you for your heart to want to get this out here because this is desperately needed. All at your book, all of the information, all the podcasts, desperately needed right now. So thank you. Is. Thank you. That's it, guys. I'll see you next episode. Peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.